Well, we've got a lot to cover today. And you know, you're living in a culture where uh, things mean different things to different people at different stages of life. Uh, the, the cool words uh, change with different generations. And uh, now you used to say something like when I was there, you, you'd have a little motion like this. So you'd say something, you go, psych, you know. Now, now somebody says, so, so, you know, our daughter is like, hey, can I go to Target, you know, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. It's like, uh, like tongue stick out, like what? If you stick your tongue out one more time, I'm, uh, something's gonna happen, bad. Like there's like, <clears throat> I don't know, it's crazy. Like it's not even speaking, it's just <clears throat> whatever. I, I don't even know, I don't even know. There are all kinds of new things that come up in culture, um, but there are also idioms that we have, that phrases that you wouldn't know what they mean unless you had context for them. They sound like something completely different. They're, they're idioms like uh, raining cats and dogs. It's not literal, but that actually comes from historical time. Uh, we have breaking the ice. We also have, uh, they gave me the cold shoulder. Now we've all heard these different phrases, but interestingly enough, historically, they have some meaning. Raining cats and dogs came from 16th century England when the roofs of houses were made of a certain kind of material. Uh, dogs and cats would come up on top of the roofs and would uh, like sunbathe. But when it would rain, those roofs would become unbelievably slick really, really fast. And the harder it rained, the harder those dogs and cats could hang on. Eventually they'd slide right off the roof. So when you had a hard rain, you'd be walking down the, the, the road in England and it would be raining cats and dogs. Breaking the ice was a shipping term where vessels that were sending goods to another port, if they were going through really cold seas to a point where they were traveling for so long, sometimes the, the, uh, the, the water would freeze around them and it would be difficult for them to actually make it into port. So the receiving port would send out a tugboat or send out a vessel and they would come in and they would send people out to break the ice, they would meet them where they were and break the ice in order for them to come into the port. Gave me the cold shoulder. Anybody ever given you the cold shoulder? Alice gave you the cold shoulder in the break room and you said, hi, Alice, and she just walked out with her Kit Kat. Like she just upset with you for some reason, they gave you the cold shoulder. Well, that comes from when royalty, uh, dukes and duchesses would have parties and they, I mean, they just have a crazy wild, you know, DJ Beethoven, they'd have a crazy waltz. I mean, it was off the chain waltz and uh, they would have a party and uh, it would go a little bit longer. Anybody ever had people over at, their, at your house and they just don't get the clue that it's time to go? Nope, just us, no, yeah, like, like it's time to go. And so what these royalty would do is a party gift, a party favor that they would hand out when it was time to go. They would give them literally a, a piece of cold meat, a cold shoulder of meat. And back in the day, you, had, you, know, you couldn't just you know, put it in the fridge. You had to go and preserve that. So they just start handing out cold shoulders to everybody. It was their symbol that it was time to go. So you given a cold shoulder back in the day was like, you're also getting fed. That's cool. But it was also time to leave the royal's house. There are several different idioms that actually come, believe it or not, from the Bible. Uh, the word of God doesn't just give us truth for living. It gives us a lot of our language even today. Uh, if you've ever heard the statement, made it by the skin of my teeth, that's from the book of Job. The statement, I'm at my wit's end, is from the psalmist uh, who's in despair. 
If you've ever dealt with a fly in the ointment, that means there's a fly would get in the ointment and it would change the smell of that, of that perfume or cologne or candle. A fly in the ointment is an issue. It's a problem that you've got at work or a fly in the ointment in that relationship. In the book of John, when Jesus resurrects uh, in our NIV, it says that when he showed up to the disciples' safe house, he said, peace be with you. But in the Greek, it, it actually said, what's up? That's a joke. That's not the Bible. That's Budweiser. That really didn't happen in the Greek. Um, we get other ones like a leopard can't change its spots. That's right out of Jeremiah chapter 13. There's nothing new under the sun is Ecclesiastes from the wisest man who ever lived, God said. That's Solomon. And here's one that we've heard. Uh-oh, the writing's on the wall. The writing's on the wall. There's been a rumor at work that there's going to be some layoffs. And we just got an email that everybody's supposed to meet in the big conference center I guess you know what that means, writings on the wall. Well, we've kind of been drifting apart for a while and, uh, you know, writings on the wall. Made some mistakes and whew, writings on the wall. It's not looking good for the family, writings on the wall. That actually comes from the book that we've been studying over the last four weeks, the book of Daniel there tucked away in the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel is really a playbook. It's, uh, it's, it's a practice book on how to stand strong in a culture of compromise. Because our key character and key author of this book, Daniel, is stripped away from his hometown of Jerusalem when Darius comes and conquers the entire kingdom. He takes into captivity all the Israelites. Instead of executing everybody, he actually brings them into part of his kingdom and he wants to re-indoctrinate them. He wants to brainwash them. He wants to change them. And what we've been learning is there is a place where God says, woe, and culture says, go, where we're supposed to be quick to listen, but culture says be quick to speak, where we're supposed to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but culture says you just get in the last word edgewise, you just do whatever to protect self. Culture says all kinds of things, and God, the, the Spirit of God is saying something different. Ultimately, ultimately we're learning that, that you and I, we live in the tension between who we are and who Jesus is. And we live in that tension, becoming more and more like him or sometimes drifting away because we're all like sheep. We drift, we, we stray. In the beginning of the series, in Daniel chapter one, we learned Babylon's greatest goal, a culture that's counterfeit. God has a kingdom that he wants in heaven and he sees it on earth, but this, this culture wants to give you a counterfeit culture. It's the Babylonian, Babylon culture. And the greatest goal of a culture that's counterfeit to Christ is conformity. For you to look the way culture wants you to look, to be the way culture wants you to be, to assume things the way culture wants you to assume. And the apostle Paul says it like this in Romans, do, 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 do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you can start with the way you think about things, you think about this culture instead of being so much like it so quickly without even thinking, the way we think affects the way we feel. The way we feel affects the way we behave. And so if we're not thinking, if we don't start with the renewing of our mind, we won't get into the feels and we definitely don't get into the actions. Many times the church has been all about behavioral action modification, behavioral modification. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't you laugh unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. And like, like you, you got to, you all about behavior modification. Don't go watch that movie. Don't go say that thing. Don't go, you know, don't spit, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. You, it's all about behavior. 
the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The Spirit of, of God is drawing us to start with the way we think. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And conformity is a key place that this culture wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind towards Babylon's culture, not Christ's culture. In Daniel chapter three, we uncovered Babylon's greatest test. And that was, look, you can't bow down to your God, but you must bow down to our gods. You can't completely surrender yourself to a higher power that you call God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God whose son is Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't bow down to all that because you need to actually bow down to what we say is important. And through the test in Daniel chapter three of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to choose, can I still worship God and still stand strong even when I wasn't given the life that I really wanted? Even when everybody else is bowing down, can I stay true to what God is, is saying? In Daniel chapter four last week, we talked about confrontation done right, confrontation done correctly. We're living in a day and age, people are just, they just uh, con confront happy. And you gotta shut the confront door is what you gotta do. How do we do that? Well, we learned in confrontation that one of Babylon's greatest sins, and it's really the chief sin in the Bible, it's what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, and it wasn't eaten of the tree, of the fruit. It was really the sin behind the sin. It was pride. Pride says, I'm in charge, and I don't need God. Pride says, I want to be on the throne of my heart. You may want to write this down somewhere. The Bible is full of promises for the humble. The Bible is full of problems for the proud. You can look all throughout 66 books of the Bible. You can look out through all the last 66 days of your life. There are promises when we're humble. There's problems when we're proud. Pride comes before a fall. Another idiom right in the book of Proverbs. So we jump into the writings on the wall when it comes to pride in Daniel chapter five. This is a, a true story. In fact, archeology span has uncovered the, uh, the uh, truth of the book of Daniel in several different ways. Archeologically, we see that for years and years and years, up until the 1880s, um, most Bible scholars, most people did not believe that Nebuchadnezzar ever existed or that he had a son named Belshazzar, that um, the, the next leader of the Medes and the Persians that we'll hear about later on, that there wasn't really that, that was all kind of a hocus pocus fairy tale. But in the 1880s, not only did they uncover the throne room, uh, uh, the actual throne room in archaeology digs, uh, but we also see interesting, significant facts about the throne room that one wall was all brick and the other three were made of a very special material, a very special plaster. And that's going to be important as we read this story. Starting in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Daniel has lived from a teenager to now he's almost, he's probably in his early 70s. And he has survived a few different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, the chief king. Now Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is in charge. And here's how the Bible reads. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and he drank wine with them. Now, if, if you just, if you breeze through the Bible, you'll miss little pieces. Nothing is wasted in scripture. And there's a reason why we see that 
Belshazzar isn't just throwing a party, but he's actually in the party with them. He's, he's drinking with them. What is this symbolizing? It's symbolizing that Belshazzar, he might've had some parties where he had to tend to more important things, but right now he's not tending to more important things. He has become comfortable and cozy and complacent. And instead of being a king, he is basically uh, stepped down onto the dance floor and he's raising the roof and raising a glass with everybody else. While Belshazzar was in this party drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem about 50 years earlier. They were special holy artifacts um, that, that were set aside for the Lord's table. They, they were set aside for, uh, the, the, as, as Nacho Libra would say, the holy things. They were the Lord's cheeps, okay? And, and so these were the Lord's cups. And uh, they brought them out of the treasury and they brought these gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them, the holy things the sacred things. They had no respect for them. And as they drank the wine, not only was there a lack of respect, but it was almost a nose up, a middle finger to God. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Those goblets that were meant to be, be set apart and holy unto the God of Israel they basically took them and said, ha, ha, let's live it up, let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry, another biblical idiom. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. <laughs> he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were kissing each other. The king summoned the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners, and this is the counterfeit kingdom. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Every time God wants to give wisdom, Satan wants to give you counterfeit wisdom, and he brings in the counterfeit wise men. He brings them all in, and he said to these wise men of Babylon, he says, hey, whoever reads this writing, because the hand had written something that nobody could understand, it was a language that was incredibly foreign to them. They'd never seen it before. They never understood it before. Whoever reads this writing tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And I can just see one of the diviners, one of the, one of the you know, enchanters like, oh yeah, I'm gonna look good Friday night. Susie's gonna have to say yes to our date to Olive Garden now. I'm gonna look good. Clothed in purple, gold chains, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. You can see there's something about prominence. Clothed in purple, you, you would have been dressed completely different than anybody else. That, that's a royal thing. Um, possessions, gold chain. You, you, you'd have prominence, you'd have possession. Third highest ruler, you got power. And this culture is so hungry and thirsty, and we are too, to clothe ourselves in prominence and possessions and power. 
all sources that come from pride. These astrologers and enchanters, they can't figure it out. They're, they're, doing, they're doing Google Translate on their iPhones. Nothing's coming up. And so the queen says, you know, Belle, what we should do. You know Daniel. You know, how, you know how faithful he's been. That Daniel, mm, he's something else. You like don't mess with Dan, y'all. Because she's a little tipsy too, you know what I mean? You know. She says, you got to bring old Dan in. Danny. Bring in Danny. He's, he, he, he listens to his God. Like there's, some, there's power w- w- with him. He's different. The only way to really make a difference in this world, everybody, is to be different in this world. You really want to make a difference in the world? Be different in the world. Daniel had set himself apart for decades. Decades. And so sure enough, they call for Daniel. He shows up and uh, Belshazzar says, I'm going to give you everything that I've been telling everybody else. And Daniel answers the king this way. He says, king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Notice that Daniel was more concerned about the substance than he was the stuff. Something I've said since the beginning of the year to our team and in the first couple of weeks of this year, with social distance, being a reality that I never even heard that statement before until global pandemic. What we've missed a little bit is social substance. We, we, we have uh, kind of just become friends with everybody and we really are friends with nobody. And we have a, a whole lot of, we may even have distance, but we have like connections, but is there really substance in those connections? A couple of Wednesdays from now, we're going to be starting at the Lufkin and Nacogdoches campuses, uh, um, Timber Creek Midweek, where we'll be having the women in one room, the men in the other. We're not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. We're going to have a great time. Um, but we're, going to, we're working towards building in the middle of a culture that wants to be distanced to figure out how to also provide a deeper substance this year, that we would have social substance. And Daniel is more concerned about the substance than he is the stuff. He says, keep, keep, keep all that. I'm, I'm, I don't need all that to answer and to read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Daniel goes on to say, your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. What? What? Gave your father Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who built the statues, the guy who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, the guy who went crazy with pride. What? Yeah. God's in charge of whoever's in charge. God's in charge of whoever's in charge. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away. This is what we talked about last week, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't humble himself and he went crazy. He was given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Basically, we're describing here in the word a complete mental breakdown in Nebuchadnezzar before he dies. Seven years, he's completely cuckoo. And either it was a mental breakdown or it was a supernatural thing. I will tell you that this really describes a few of our family reunions in Arkansas. Like that is a little, so maybe he just moved to Arkansas. I don't know what happened. But, but he, nevertheless, he completely lost everything um, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign 
over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. That's way back in Babylon and that's right here in the U.S. of A. He is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, sets over them anyone he chooses. But you, Peleshazzar, his son, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And can you believe that he would see all these things and not humble himself? And I know, and I know, and I know, but you and I do the same thing. We, we, know, we know that I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have led that way. I, I, I should have thought about that differently. I, I should have guarded myself better. I, I, why did I do what I know I shouldn't do? I know, but I didn't humble myself and pride got in the way. And I was wanting that power or that possession or that pleasure or that, pri that pride just creeps in. And I didn't humble myself. Oh, why didn't I? Because there's so many promises for the humble, but problems for the proud. And he doubles down Daniel, what boldness. He says, not only did you not humble yourself, instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Like many of us, we, we feel like, well, oh, I probably ought to, maybe should have thought about maybe doing that a little different. Oh, thank God for grace. And his grace is sufficient. But can I tell you that, that your posture sometimes your pastor's posture sometimes towards God isn't a oh, <laughs> whoopsie. Whether you will see it or not, sometimes our posture, pride, you become like, like, the, like the fighting Irish. You, 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 become, you set yourself up against God. You, you stiff arm God with your, with your pride. This is what Belshazzar had done. He goes on to say, you had the goblets from his temple brought to you, you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, you drank wine from them. Like you, you know, and listen, listen, listen. He said, you set up your, yourself against them even though you know better than this. Belshazzar grew up in dad's kingdom. We don't know, but it could be possible that Belshazzar was being bounced on his daddy's knee when the fiery furnace was turned up seven times hotter. He saw what Nebuchadnezzar built. He saw how Nebuchadnezzar had it torn down. He saw how Nebuchadnezzar decreed, oh, there's no one like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He would have been there to see Daniel in action. He would have seen all these things, and yet he still set himself up against God. He still took those holy things out of the treasury and mocked God. This way, you praise the God, you wives, your concubines, you drink wine from them. You praise the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, of iron, of wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. And I wonder how many of us, including your pastor, many times we inadvertently set up worship to the stuff that will never see us or hear us or understand us. And we say, nah, We'd never do that. Do you know when you, when you live more for the affirmation of a man or woman than you do the affirmation of God, you're setting yourself up against something temporary. Many of you are living a life script. Your, your dad never said what he should have said to you. The words I love you are so precious. Many of you, maybe you didn't hear those words growing up. 
And, and what you can do is you can set yourself up to try and get and see and hear those words, and they may never come from that father. But there is a heavenly father who loved you before you were even knit in your mother's womb, who has plans for you, designs like a master architect for your life. But Belshazzar couldn't see it, and you did not honor that God that master architect who holds in his hand. Now you see, they're holding in their hand the cup of pride. They're holding in their hand the cup of pleasure and prominence and let's party and be comfy and let's not have a care in the world. But he holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Why would you take that for granted? Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Now, when I read this, I don't know about you, but I can't think of, I can't help but think of the Adams family, you know, like this hand just like, just running across the table, pushing over the mutton, you know, drop, spilling, then looking up like this. Anyway, this is the inscription that was written. It's in a different language that nobody understands. And Daniel's about ready to give us the, the interpretation. The inscription said this, mene, mene, tekel, Parson, mene, mene, tekel, parson. I and mean, again, I don't know about you, but I grew up with Muppets. And so I can't help but want to say it like, mene, mene, tekel, parson, you know, like the chef. You know. Anyway, this is what mene, mene, tekel, parson means. Mene. Daniel says, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now I want you to, to notice something there. It said, mene, mene, tekel parson. There was, there was a, there's a, a way, a creative way of writing in Hebrew literature. Um, God would use this, this special thing. Um, Jesus uses it uh, when, when he talks about uh, people that they say, Lord, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? They, they repeat that, Lord, Lord. And it's supposed to emphasize great emotion. Lord, Lord. When David loses his son Absalom in a civil war, he says, Absalom, oh, my son, Absalom. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's an intensity here of great emotion. God is utmost emotion. He is perfect emotion. He's not emotion out of control. He is the purest form of deep emotion. He understands great joy. Jesus understood emotion. He is victorious, and yet he cries with Mary and Martha over Lazarus. He understands emotion like a widow next to a casket grieving over a loved one. He understands the emotion of life, and he says, many, many, you don't get it, and we don't get it. And this is a prophetic moment for a king in 539, but it's very important for us in 2021 as well. And here's some lessons to learn from this prophetic message for a king that had gotten comfy and cozy and had gotten things out of balance. The first lesson is this, write it down. We forget our days are numbered. We forget it. You would think, you would think we'd remember it because everybody older than you tells you this. <sighs> Don't blink. Don't blink. You go by too fast. You know how grandparents and grandma, uh, grand, grandparents, oh, where did the time go? 
It was just yesterday you were knee-high to a grasshopper. We forget our days are numbered. You know why? Because we tend to devalue what we have a lot of. And we think we have a lot of time. I will get around to it. Eventually, at some point, I'm not going to put that off. And we, we think we have a lot of it until we, until we don't. Do you know that we don't know who the old people are in this room? We don't know who the young people are in this room. Whether you're young or old isn't based on when you were born. It's not based on your birthday. It's, it's based on your last day. You can be 74 in this room and you're gonna live till 93. You're not that old. You got a good 18 years left. God forbid there may be a 21-year-old here that will live to 24. You're old. You're old. And many times what we, what the beauty of this global pandemic was is for a while it got us to slow down enough to number our days and think through what is really important. When everything was stripped away and we were forced, do you know, it, it is sad that it took a global pandemic for me to have more meals with my family, for us to have more family time because we didn't have 74 other things to do. But then we just couldn't wait for things to lift and get unrestricted and go and get back to the red line RPMs of our lives and filling our lives with more and more and more. Is it not the truth? We hated that things were shut down, but then we also learned in the middle of all that, man, we're just going so busy, but we forget our days are numbered. It's not a very, look, look, it's not a very sexy verse, but it's a verse nonetheless. Hebrews chapter nine, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Like you're not going to see that one on burlap at the front of Hobby Lobby. Okay. You're, you're going to, you're going to get, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. Third, third John, you're going to get those scriptures at Hobby Lobby. Okay. You're not going to get a mother's day card. Happy mother's day. It's destined for man to die once and then the judgment. Nobody's getting Hebrews 9 tattooed on their wrist, all right? Nobody's putting a flowery poem of Hebrews 9 on their refrigerator magnet. Nobody is telling their kids when they drop them off to school, love you, honey. Hey, remember, remember, you're going to die someday. Judgment's coming. Mwah. Eat your vegetables. Like, it's not a very sexy verse, okay? But it's important. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Our days are numbered, mene, mene. Said with emphasis, we've got to get this right. And yet we don't, we don't. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales, Belshazzar, and you've been found wanting. You, you, you are out of balance and that's what happens to us. We allow our lives to get out of balance trying to fit it all in, trying to fit it all in. We want to provide a better life for our kids than, than maybe what we had. And, you know, they had, the, I, I never got to have, I never got to have the nice Nike shoes growing up in school. I mean, best I got was fourth grade. I got BK Knights. Anybody remember British Knights, BK Knights? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you don't even know where they are anymore. They were that cool, okay? 
Like I want all this. And so, so, so if I'm not careful, I want to provide the things that I didn't have, the vacations that I didn't have. We had to pack, you know, cheese and mayonnaise sandwiches to go to the, to the Kansas City Royals ball game. And so I said, when I grow up, I'm going to eat all the hot dogs and nachos and pretzels I want. Oh, bless God. I'm going to spend $300 on that credit card. But don't we do the same? We, we, we want our, the best for our kids and, and, and we allow our finances, our time to get out of balance. Oh, we're so busy and we wear it like a flipping badge of honor these days. Oh, I'm just so busy. Jesus would say, yeah, like, you know, we, gotta, we ought to talk about that. Can I just, can I time out this sermon? Like, I'm the guy, too. I'm I'm preaching this, but I need, I need this. Because your pastor deals with, with pride, too. I've got to humble myself to see where am I allowing stuff, time, Get out of balance. For me and you both, the, the constant push for more will destroy you. Many, many tackle. Then he gives the last piece, parson, but he goes, gives it in the singular. He says, Peres, your kingdom is divided, Belshazzar, and given to the Medes and Persians. Number three, we ignore the warning signs. Had Belshazzar been more focused on his responsibility as king instead of uh, being the chief party starter, he maybe would have seen the warning signs. Instead, he brings a thousand nobles out from where they could have kept guard, where they could have noticed that maybe there was an enemy approaching and he brings all the people in just to party hardy. Who knows? Like who was watching at the tower? Who was out there? Who was the Paul Revere in Babylon to come traveling in saying the Medes and the Persians are coming? Nobody because they were so busy with all the other stuff. They had gotten so proud. They missed the warning signs. And you and I, we have warning signs when we get life out of balance when we're living with no limits. I've said it before. Let me just say it again. I've got a a, a lot of stage here, but, but it's boundary, it's space, it's breathing room. But but the closer I get to the edge of this stage, if I were to stand right here, I have, it's harder for me to focus on what I want to say. And it's more important for me to focus on not falling over. My focus gets changed when I lose my margin your, your focus is different. Like, oh, please fall, please fall. Like, your focus is different. The more space I have, the more breathing room I have. I don't have to think about the, the boundary line. I, I can focus my words on what's most important. But we ignore losing margin. We ignore the space. We run in the red line of our, of our spiritual, physical, financial motor. And what can happen to you spiritually is when you ignore the warning signs, the risk of your sinful choices increase. You got, you got sinful choice op- opportunities that come more and more and become more attractive the busier and the crazier you are. Your emotions are inconsistent. A few years ago, I, I struggled with a life crazy out of balance. And you know one of the ways that I, that I, I fixed it? You know one of, the, one of the ways I fixed my stress? I ate everything. I ate my feelings. 
Gained about 60 pounds in four years. Had to go through some major life changes to get back to where I felt like God needed me to be as a leader. But, but I, I let some things, I, I didn't look at the warning signs. My emotions were so inconsistent a few years ago. I was sitting on the couch in a little 900 square foot apartment. That may have part, been part of the stress. Four people and a dog in a 900 square foot apartment for three years, bless the Lord, oh my soul. As we were building a house, it was supposed to take nine months. <clears throat> Did not, it took a lot longer. And we're watching Cupcake Wars together. Me, Sage, our, our, our 17 year old, she was in, it was four years ago. So she was in eighth grade at the time. Our son was in second grade at the time. And we're watching Cupcake War Junior, these little kids doing cupcakes. And one of the kids get voted off and Sage and like, oh, I like that one. They look over to me and I'm crying. I'm crying. Like, <laughs> I like that cupcake, why? I felt for the kid. That was a sign. Like Sage is like, are you okay? Do we need to pray? Dear Lord, you know, your emotions get out of control, get inconsistent. I become less productive and so do you when our lives are out of control and we ignore the warning signs. But ultimately, I can't hear God. I can't hear God like I should. You, you know how in professional football where, where the quarterback is trying to get the crowd to quiet down and he's got his hands over his ears trying to listen to the play going in through the radio and he, he's, he's listening in and trying to, trying to communicate the call, trying to communicate the next play and, or, or vice versa where the defense comes up and says, let's go, let's get loud, defense, defense. And, and they, 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 like you can't hear what's going on out in the field when the stadium's packed and it's and it's roaring and you and I have lives that are full of people that want your attention and God's at the 50 yard line and he's trying to communicate some plays to you and, and you just can't hear God and it's not that you're bad. It's just that life is loud. It's not that you're, it's not that you're even sinful. It's that your, your schedule's crazy. You're not bad, you're busy. It's also amazing in that same, same stadium how you could sit early in the morning with nobody around and someone could have a conversation at the 50 yard line and you could be 12 rows up and you could hear what they're saying. Even with that distance, even with what's going on, because there's something about when you feel like God isn't speaking, it's probably not that God isn't speaking. It's probably life is very, very loud and it's hard to hear him. So, if emotionally it's been raining cats and dogs, if you've got to um, figure some stuff out, if the handwriting's on your wall, because it's on mine too, how, how do we respond? Well, let me tell you the, the, the one thing that's not in, in your notes. Jesus loves you so much, he's willing to respond to you personally in a way that would speak to you like a tailor who designs a three-piece suit for your specifications. Uh, he can design like, like, like beautiful jewelry that, that, that drapes your neck perfectly. He has something designed for you. Listen to him, he'll, he'll speak. Tune out the other stuff, get, get some quiet space where you can hear the voice of God. But then there's practically some very simple handlebars that we see all throughout scripture that you and I can follow right now and apply that today. And the first would be this, you, you gotta live with a sense of purpose and urgency. 
living like whatever goes. Your time equals your life. The way you spent your time is the way you will have spent your life. Your time equals your life. Do you know the average person will spend 13 years of their life watching television? Four years of their life waiting in line somewhere. Now, if you shop with your wife, that goes up like exponentially. <laughs> years and years, okay? One year of your life looking for something you lost. You'll walk four miles making your bed. That's why I just like, <laughs> I don't spend that time, <sighs> you know. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. If you can live and realize that every day matters, you'll live more like every day matters. The most important day of your life, two most important, the day you were born and the day you find out why. It's part of the whole process we have here. I feel like I'm more of a tour guide than a pastor. For those of you that are part of the Timber Creek experience, I, I wanna be a tour guide for you and help you. And we develop systems that, like starting point, to help you know God more personally, find freedom from stuff that may be holding you back, discover purpose spiritually, his kingdom at work in your life, and then to truly make, make a difference in the kingdom of God. And we wanna help you in that process. We wanna guide you on that tour, but you can live with a sense of purpose and urgency. The psalmist says it like this in chapter 39, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me, because you are a terrible reminder of yourself. In Psalm 90, it says, teach us to number our days because you're a terrible teacher. You don't teach yourself to number your days and neither do I. We need someone behind, beyond us. And God has given us little glimpses of that when people say, whew, you're gonna blink, mom. You're gonna blink, dad. It's before you know it, you're gonna say, oh my goodness, Facebook shows up today. My son, four years ago, the hundredth day of school in second grade, and I'm going, how in the world? Has it been four years since he dressed up like that guy that looked like the grandpa and the princess bride? Like, how, how did he do that? How did life go so fast? Remind me, because you're a terrible reminder of yourself. You need God to do this with you, and you won't do it with a proud heart. You gotta do it with a humble heart. Number two, the order of my life will determine my capacity. The order of your life determines your capacity. The, your Facebook feed and the interwebs are full of people that want to sell you a masterclass on productivity. The four hour work week, the one thing, the seven habits of highly effective people. Read them all, consider them all. You ought to be more productive than, than like be as productive as you can be. There's nothing wrong with that. But the order of my life determines my capacity and gonna be learned just from another John Maxwell tape series. It's going to be learned from the greatest teacher of them all, God, the Father, His Son, Jesus, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's the strategy. Here's the master class that God gives. You don't have to watch nine videos. You, you don't have to subscribe for $99 a month. You don't have to go into the inner courts of the Facebook group. You can get it right now. I'm gonna give it to you. Here it is. Here's the master class of God for your time and productivity. God first, everything else after that. It's it. It's done. It's closed. It, that's it. Go do it. Like buy, you know, drop the mic, break it, have to buy another one. So proverbially, 
There we go. God first, everything else after that. You ought to be the first of your year, the first of your month, the first of your week, the first of your day, the first counselor you, you reach out to, the first person you pay with your paycheck, the, the, the first coach that you ask on a decision that you need to make, the first person you invite into the boardroom. He ought to be the first, God first. Jesus says it like this, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added after that. If God isn't first, he's not God. If God isn't first in your life, he's not God. He's just a God. A God. He's not the God. The one true God. Everything else after that. So there's, there's, there's something powerful and special and supernatural and, and important about giving God your Sunday. The first day of the week, something special about giving God the first of your day. You're like, well, I'm a night person. Well, then 1201 at night, give him the first of your day. There's something powerful. You know, there's, there's something about serving his kingdom, putting him first in your priorities of time and of talent and of treasure. And listen, I've heard it 150,000 times. I would serve, but I'm just too busy right now. Can I say something to you? Just like off the record, like this isn't even going online right now. They've closed down the videos. It's a joke. It's going everywhere. How arrogant, how arrogant and prideful. Do, do you think those other 500 people that serve on a dream team, that they like got, you know, nothing going on in their life? They're single and ready to mingle and just spend all kinds of time up at church. They got kids, they got grandkids, they got bills, they got priorities, they got a 50 plus hour a week job and they find time to do it. You know why? Because they've learned the productivity secret. God first, everything else after that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. If we put the first things first, we get the second things thrown in. Bingo. But if we put second things first, we lose both the first and second. If your treadmill isn't working, you'll put an out of order sign on it. I was in a hotel the other day and the only way you could get anything from the hotel was a small hotel. And the vending machine was out of order. It, it didn't mean that there were mechanisms that should have been here, A, B, C, D, E. The sign out of order simply meant the vending machine was what? Broken, that's exactly right. It was broken. Now, why we feel like it's better to write out of order versus this thing's busted. I don't know. Out of order, just more politically correct. <laughs> if you and I are living a life out of order, your life is actually broken. If God isn't first, it's not that you're living an out of order life. You're living a broken life. Your, your finances will never be what they need to be and what they should be in the kingdom of God. If you're living Honda first, if you're, if you're living anything first, if, if my time and my talent and my treasure and my testimony and my story and my prayer and my trust and my surrender, if it's not God first, I'm living, there's part of my life that's broken. Number three, you can learn this by choice or learn it later by regret. It's like 
I promise you there's never been a hospice worker that has listened to the words of the dying and ever heard someone with their last breath say, why didn't I spend more time answering email? Nobody says that. But they do hear, why didn't I chase that? Why didn't I spend more time? Why didn't I spend more time with my family? Oh, why didn't I say, why didn't I not say what I needed to say? There's something powerful. I, I, I have performed, officiated many, many funerals. Um, hugged a, a lady right over here at first service who I had the honor of being a part of the, the funeral service for her husband just a few weeks ago. Many times people will use those moments to say, oh, why, did, why haven't I called my mom? Why haven't I spent more time? Don't wait for a crisis. Choose, make a choice to number your days. Don't learn it by regret, learn it by choice. Don't, don't regret, learn, learn it by choice with my risk tolerance and my emotions and my productivity and the voice of God in my life. Choose that. Don't learn it by regret. Learn it now, humble yourself. And you know, Daniel stood up, stood strong. He stood strong, was tough as nails in a culture of compromise right there in Babylon. And he said all this truth to Belshazzar right to his face with humility, but with power. And the Bible goes on to finish this story. Then at Belshazzar's command, what might've happened? <laughs> we know what happened. I wonder had Belshazzar, what would have happened if Belshazzar, instead of the way he did respond, what if he would have responded like this? Stop the party, put down the wine, wash the holy goblets my father took from the temple of God. Uh, let's humble ourselves, everybody. Let's ask the God of Daniel to forgive us, starting with me. And they all put, put the music stopped and the plates were pushed aside and they, they placed their, their hands and their heads in their hands. And they said, oh God, we're sorry. We've been so calloused and we've been so twisted and we've been so proud what would have happened we don't know but can I tell you there's a pattern in the word of God when people humble themselves God was gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah Abraham said what if there's 90 people that love you so okay I, I won't destroy them so what if there's 70 30? I'll, I'll, I'll spare the cities if there's 30 righteous. What, what if there's, there's 10? Now, either Abraham is an incredible salesman or God was a terrible negotiator, but it was actually neither. The truth is our God, he's, he's, not, he's not quick to punish. He's slow to punish. He's quick and patient with you. He's quick to forgive. Before God plays wipe out, he's more interested in providing a way out. Jonah, prejudiced, racist towards the Ninevites, goes the whole other direction. God turns it all around. Jonah comes with the message, you're all gonna burn, you're all gonna die. And they didn't throw a javelin through his throat. They humbled themselves and they said, what do we do? Oh God, forgive us. And instead of God playing wipeout, he provided a way out. And while you and I were still sinners, not deserving a single ounce of grace. He dies for us. 
He provides the ultimate way out. We all have sinned. We all fall short. And he provides the way out. God didn't build an ark the size of three football fields just because he was an animal lover. Noah preached the good news to all of his relatives and his neighbors, and they didn't listen. And the earth was destroyed. But I believe had they listened and had they responded and had they humbled themselves, there would have been room on the ark. Because God loves people and provides a way out for people. That's not the way the story goes. At Belshazzar's command, he didn't humble himself. (laughs) Daniel was clothed in purple. Gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And I can just see it in my mind's eye. Daniel standing there looking at Belshazzar as he lifts a cup and the music begins to play really loud again. And the servants come and they place a royal purple robe over Daniel and the gold chain. And Daniel's just slow motion looking at Belshazzar. You missed it. You missed it. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, he was slain. Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Belshazzar had thrown his life into neutral. The apostle Paul tells us in Thessalonians, warn those who are idle. Warn those who have put themselves into neutral or are running so fast you have not taken a chance to slow down and consider your ways. Do you know where it starts? Number four, it all starts with humility. The Bible says, Jesus says, listen, we're done, we're done, we're almost done, I promise we're done. Blessed are the humble, the earth will be theirs, the earth. If we've ever been living in a proud place, if we've ever been living in a place where Christians have shot their testimony in the face by wanting to be right on Facebook more than wanting to humble themselves, it's today. It all starts with humility. So consider your ways. Can I tell you something? Right now, right now, some of you are struggling with pride and you don't even know it. You're dealing with a proud heart and you don't even know it. Here's how. You're thinking to yourself, and this is pride incognito, this is pride in disguise, here it is. We need to have a talk over lunch about our schedule. Like, things are crazy, we gotta get some stuff. We gotta get some stuff figured out. I am running at a red line, this is a little crazy. Is anybody, be honest, anybody thinking that right now? Anybody, nobody? Okay, well then we're done. Now, you know you're thinking, where's some stuff that's out of line? Here's where pride sneaks in. To think that it's all about you making a better calendar. Because if that were it, everybody'd be doing it. It's humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, here's my time, here's my life, here's, my, here's the money that you've given me, here's my family, here's my attitude, here's my emotions, here's my choices. I step off the throne and I want to be more like you. I humble myself. You'll inherit the earth that way. That's better than all the purple threads.
all the gold chains. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads. The first moment of humility is a critical moment and it's the biggest moment. And that's when we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And maybe you haven't done that or it's been a while and you've drifted and you've become your own Lord. In your own words, if you'd like to correct that, it's not about what you could do or even pray. It's about humbling yourself, believing he is who he says he is. And in this moment, you'd simply say, Jesus, you are the son of God. You died on a cross for me. You fixed my sin, which separates me from you. I can't do that. You died on a cross. You were dead three days. You were raised in power. And you're preparing a place in heaven for for those that put their trust in you and believe you. I want to do that. So if you're in one of our rooms today, and that's you, in your own words, you'd say that same thing. Jesus, thank you for not being mad at me today, but for giving me this moment to say, I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for giving me this moment. I surrender to you today, Jesus. For everybody else in the room, for all of us in the room, with a raise of a hand, maybe your life is out of balance. The days are numbered, but it's been tough. And you need the spirit of Jesus to help you. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta have the spirit of Jesus help you. Lord, help me to to make the most of my days. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? My hand's up, both hands are up, really. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, who humbled himself even to that of a cross, we humble ourselves in front of you. We cannot fix the past, but you can wash it away and give us a fresh start today. Lord, I pray that we would make the days count that we would ask you to help us number our days because our days equal our life. And we want to live a life that's honoring and pleasing and holy and separated and a life that shows other people your goodness and your peace and your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for not playing wipeout on us, but providing a way out. And so, Lord, we are inviting you to help us recalibrate our days that we might live fully engaged for you and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen.